Maybe they're the ones that think that uh, women should get in their place. Maybe they're the ones that are sexually frustrated. Because I don't ever remember seeing Michael Myers or Leatherface or Jason with a boner. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. We are giving you the sneak previews of movies that came out 37 years ago. Shut up. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil Meh Trachtenberg. How did I get the meh all of a sudden? And Peter, he promised he'd be here, so he actually is this week. Gajic. I keep my word, and uh, I'd just like to get this out of the way since you said not as much swearing for me, and this is obviously going to be a very rage-inducing episode, so there we go. Okay, I got it out of my system. What you guys need to do, though, if you want to calm down like Peter needed to do last night, and I'll explain that in a minute, you go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing to crush your nuts in, I don't know any other way to use it besides smashing your boys, and free U.S. <laughs> shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. This is sort of a redo episode. Way back in episode 37, almost 300 episodes ago, Brad and I looked at Siskel and Ebert's Women in Danger special. And I figure a lot's changed in that time, and we've got a a new set of co-hosts, I want to revisit this special. Peter had not seen this before, and last night his girlfriend had to literally calm him down. He was so pissed off. You know what? And it's a problem today, too. People still have this issue with uh, women in danger. Shut up. I mean, they're horror movies, but people, there are people that still to this day call them films that are objectifying to women that are women in danger films. It's the same thing that people like, say, Anita Sarkeesian do or, or any of the other like new talking heads that are showing up and reviewing things like this. Violence against women kind of shit. They cherry pick. They use... They use clips out of context. Like, they show footage from the opening of Friday the 13th and say, oh, it's a, it's a voyeuristic look as the killer backs this woman up into a corner. They, for one, they don't show the dude that gets his guts ripped out, nor do they mention that the killer in Friday the 13th, the original, is a woman. Like, it's it was some of the most rage-inducing shit I think I've ever seen. I think what made me so angry about it is that it still resonates to this day. There are still people today that have not even, because they clearly hadn't even seen the original Friday the 13th, if they, if they were able to do that with a straight face. And there are people still to this day that do the same thing, that just assume that this is what these movies, that they're, and sure, there are ones that objectify women. Sure, there are. There are plenty of movies that do that. But that doesn't mean that the entire genre is that, especially not Friday the 13th. If anybody that's actually seen that whole series it's tame by comparison when it comes to the sexual stuff i mean sure there's a trampy character here and there but the characters when it comes to that series are pretty well-rounded but no of course freaking uh ebert has to go on his little tirade of, look at the, how the woman's being backed into the corners it's the opening scene of the movie and the main character alice played by Adrian King, probably still to this day one of the most liberated uh, female characters, not only in slasher history, but in movies in general. She does her own thing, you know, she's doing art, she smokes pot with the rest of them, she's clearly having a thing with the main head counselor, you know, the older dude. She cuts off the killer's head. So how that's misogynistic, how that's objectifying women, is beyond me. I wanted to stand up and pee on my TV. Cecil, did you react quite as overtly i was annoyed uh i just uh you know i was yelling as well but uh probably not quite you know i didn't want to i don't want to pee on anything but uh I was, <laughs> I was irritated kind of piggybacking off of what peter said with friday the 13th there's a reason why there's a thing known as the final girl i love the fact that they were going through the horror movies and as you said they were cherry picking and it's like well look at all these scenes of women being murdered meanwhile how many men have been just as brutally murdered and it's often more brutally 
Yeah, that's the thing. The the more I would say the the men were the ones who ended up getting the like worst of the worst yeah. as far as uh, murders. And on top of that, now I know this happens years later. Jason, who is you know the biggest badass, he's undead. He's coming back at this point, killing people over and over again. And who's the only one to go toe to toe with him? A girl. And but but this is a misogynistic series and it's awful. I know that is beyond the scope because this happened, you know, years later. I would but argue it, Tommy as well, but that's okay. Uh Tommy to a certain degree, but like not like I mean he more or less kind of outsmarted him, whereas like Tina like went, you know, she like stood up to him and she used like I mean granted she had Tina? Her name was Carrie. It was well I mean it was, <laughs> It was Carrie versus Jason, you know? Yeah. The thing was, you know, she used her abilities to fight against him, and that was the only way you could fight yeah. somebody like that. Mm. Yeah, they're they're just asinine, and uh, they're they're trying to make in in the only thing that they're doing with this kind of shit, and going back to Aeneas Sarkeesian, I'm sure, oh, people get all pissed off whenever you mention her name. The simple fact is, people like that are doing nothing but setting women's liberation back because women are mm. not constant victims, like. Like, yes, bad things happen to people. It's not just specifically women that bad things happen to. And when you try to paint mm-hmm. women as constant victims, well, then women get afraid to get into certain things. They are afraid, you know, oh, my God, well, I heard that gaming is this misogynistic hotbed of it. You know, well, all you're doing is making women afraid to be able to get into that sphere. Meanwhile, the people that are involved in it are like, yeah, we. what, what do you mean we don't want women here? We want more people here we want you know we want women to like our games and movies and all that stuff one more final thing they act like the women in these movies are doing it they're being like they actually have a gun held to their head to the actresses movies. you mean yeah i'm sorry the actresses the actresses have an agent they go to audition they want to be in these movies and by them acting like these women are in this movie and there are these movies that are in terrible predicaments and their lives are in danger they're removing the agency of the actual flesh and blood living women not the characters they're playing in the movies let's go back and set the stage Prior to, you know, Siskel and Ebert's very famous show at the movies didn't exist yet. This was the show they had on PBS earlier called Sneak Previews. So, October 23rd, 1980, this began. Run if you must. Hello, operator. Hide if you can. Scream if you are able. But above all, if you are alone, don't answer the phone. Don't answer the phone. Rated R. TV commercials like that one, exploiting the plight of women in danger, those ads have been saturating television for the past two years. And the summer and fall of 1980 are the worst yet. They signify a disturbing new trend at the movie box office, one we'll be discussing on this special edition of Sneak Previews. So they start this special by playing you a TV spot from Don't Answer the Phone. And then they tell you that this is women in danger. This week, however, we're going to be looking at a group of recent films that have some very ugly things in common. All of these films are thrillers featuring extreme violence directed at young women. To put it bluntly, what you see in most of these films is a lot of teenage girls being raped or stabbed to death, usually both. This is a depressing development in American movies, and on this show, we'll examine the nature of this trend and then speculate on why we're getting so many of these films and getting them now. A lot of moviegoers, adults and teenagers, both go to see these R-rated films, and they assume, well, they're just going to see a bunch of routine, scary pictures. But oftentimes, they're really shocked how awful these films are. As we explore this trend, we will not be showing you extreme violence in these movies. We pick scenes that only suggest the violence. We want to inform you not offend you. It's just as well we're not showing some of those scenes. I think people would turn their sets off. Yes. This is a disgusting trend. I get that. But there's the asinine, why is this happening? They actually ask, why now? Why in 1980? Because it was time? Like like anything, what you could say that about any trend. Why now superhero movies are huge? Why now, you know, Pete, why, you know, a couple years ago, disaster movies were huge? It's a trend. It just, it, it was what happened. It's what made money. It was what was a success. 
that was just the thing. It ran its course. It died down. It made a resurgence over over the time. But it, there is no rhyme or reason behind it. It's what the public wanted at the time. It became a hit. It stuck around for years, and then it kind of faded into obscurity. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's just it's stupid. You could say that about any genre. It wasn't even really new at the time anyway, the whole women in danger. I mean, horror films are not a new thing. Psycho came out how many years before then? You had Universal Monster movies. That was you had Giallo. Psycho was 20 yeah. years earlier. And it's the same type of movie. So you could really say they're completely talking out of their own asses because it's not why now, why 1980? It's horror. They're horrible situations that people are in, not just women. It's horror it's a horrible thing to happen to you it's where the word comes from it's been going on for centuries you know you have prophilic writers like stephen king then going all the way back to guys like hp lovecraft and edgar Allan poe which which are pitting these everyday people into these horrible monstrous situations it wasn't why now it's something it, it's part of um i guess popular culture and it has been around for a very long time Horror is just as prominent a genre as action, as as comedy, as drama. It's a drama in and of itself. It's it's got a lot of character study to it. It's got a lot of like mental and psychological analysis of of these uh, killers and even some of the victims. They can be very interesting, even morality plays. Is the way that they just dumbed it down to uh, depicting women as weak. How about this? How about in 1980 with all these horror movies that were coming out and they listed, you know, Prom Night and uh, Terror Train and all these films. How about the fact that we had women as leads a lot more often? How about the fact that we had strong women kicking ass and beating the killer? Did, none of this ran through their head. They're immediately like, these women are victims. Almost like, and, and I don't want to put on the tinfoil hat here, but almost like they were threatened. One of the things these so-called women in danger films all have in common is that they portray women as helpless victims. And after you've sat through a dozen or so of these films, as Gene, or I, Gene and I have unfortunately had to, they all fall into the same pattern. A woman or a young girl is shown alone, isolated, and defenseless, and then come suspense-building scenes where the girl thinks she's about to be attacked, but she isn't, and then just when you think everything's going to be okay and nothing's going to happen, a crazy killer springs out of the shadows and attacks her, and frequently the killer sadistically threatens the victim before he strikes. That's what's happening in this scene from last year's sleazy movie, When a Stranger Calls, which has now been re-released because of the recent upsurge of the popularity of these films about attacks on women. They say that, that women are always helpless victims, that the women get alone, and then, bam, they're killed. Yeah, it's a slasher movie. Isn't that the yeah. point? Happens to the men in it, too. Okay, so I guess women should be indestructible. I Every guess woman it, is RoboCop. How dare Every you kill woman, a woman in a film? Every woman is RoboCop. This is just a mild theory of mine. But by looking at these two guys, you've got Ebert, who is a portly dork, and you've got <laughs> Siskel, who is a tall, balding nerd. I'm just going straight off of just appearances here. It seems to me they more than likely were probably not the best with women in the first place. So they were always, no. you know, if they were watching movies or doing that stuff and were trying to, you know, talk to girls but weren't really good at them or really good at talking to them because they spent too much time watching movies and not really enough time socializing. And more than likely, they're like, now that they're older and they're wiser, well, you know what? Women didn't appreciate uh, all this other stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to white knight for women and then maybe women will really like us. Maybe they're trying to channel a little bit of like, like that inner youth from themselves where it's like, well, women didn't like us back then because we were nerds. Now that maybe we're now. older and maybe now they will because we're going to champion women's causes. If Siskel and Ebert were alive and like, rel you know, if they were, I'd say in like their thirties today or something, they would probably be doing the dye hair, dyed hair and drinking out of cups that say male tears on it. It's always the same. The girl is at home alone, menacing attacker, the ringing telephone. The wide, frightened eyes. I think there's something terribly wrong when an image like that becomes the building block of an entire movie genre. A girl home alone being stalked, according to them, the building block of this entire genre? Okay, they're technically not wrong because they do have a point in the fact that a lot of the posters were the woman being stalked. But that was the point of the genre. It was a scary thing. I mean, they aren't technically wrong, but they're... Their approach is wrong in this one. 
all this is going to be is a matter of beating our heads against the wall until there's nothing left. So profoundly stupid when it came to this stuff. And it's the same thing. It's any, any time anything even remotely bad is happening to a woman, it's this is anti-woman. This is against. No, there are horrible situations that everyday people are being thrust into because it's horror. It's the horror genre. This is what happens. Bad things happen to people in horror movies. Doesn't matter whether they're women. Doesn't matter whether they're men. Hell, some of them doesn't matter whether they're dogs, like in Halloween. Michael Myers will straight up rip a dog's throat out because he don't care. A lot of killers in these movies don't because they tend to be immoral lunatics that are running around slitting people's throats and shit. This is, this is what happens in a, in a horror movie it's it's if you don't like horror don't watch it yeah it's it's just ridiculous they they're going into this genre meanwhile there's plenty of other genres like i mean if you want to talk about like exploitation they must hate the women in prison movies because that's (laughs) nothing but women being tortured and stripped naked and like being forced to do really awful things and then but the the thing is the vast majority of them they create an uprising and they kill the bad men or in sometimes like in the case of the ilsa movies they go after the bad women that have been doing this to them are you trying to tell me jess franco was not a feminist Is that what you're trying to tell me, Cecil? I'm thinking he may not have been. Are you trying to tell me Lucio Fulci was not a feminist? Look, okay, they they maybe weren't. He didn't like, uh, he definitely didn't like eyes. But I don't think it's so much, like, the thing is, we, even even these directors, like, it's they don't hate women. It's just that it's the, it is the genre or the material that they've decided to work with. It's what they're good, you know, with. It is what they have been uh, good with in the past and it works. And if they're not, again, not going around kidnapping women and forcing them to be in these movies, these women are doing it of their own accord. And in the majority of the time, they're loving it. I mean, how many conventions uh, do you go to? Well, I went to the convention a few years ago. It was a um, Crystal Lake, uh, reunion not all but the majority of the final girls were there yeah you know and, and it's like and they're all like to, oh i had so much fun i love doing it it's so awesome to to see people are still enjoying it after all these years and it was like yeah. yes stop discounting well, what they've done so are you trying to say that this clip you know a lot of people think that the battle has been won in hollywood on films about women they think that now women have parity with men that uh, there's strong women images in the films, Jill Clayburgh and an unmarried woman, Jane Fonda, and every picture she makes, got it all wrong. One film a year, maybe, right? These films are coming out week after week, playing to millions of people, and the dominant image in American films today on women is not Fonda and Clayburgh. It's women like that, cowering in the corner, knives being brandished in their faces, being raped, being sliced apart. That's what's going on in American movies. That's why we're doing the show is somehow wrong absolutely it's wrong they're not weak they're they're scared because they're in a situation that they have no control over and they rise to the occasion and they end up defeating the evil whoever you know jason michael whatever so that right there completely diffuses that entire argument it's not about weak women it is about women rising to the occasion and overcoming adversity if anything that is the freaking rosie the riveter of of freaking movies Especially once we came into the 80s and once the whole final girl thing was implemented, Friday the 13th, Texas Chain, well, even before Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Halloween, with movies like this, where you do have the woman rising to the occasion at the end and beating the bigger, stronger male killer. You know, Michael Myers is this big, super strong dude that can punch through doors. You know, uh, obviously Mrs. Voorhees was an old woman, but, you know, Jason's this, this like powerhouse that like throws corpses through windows and shit. And, and the woman always manages to, to defeat him. So in a way, these were some of the most actually feminist films of the 80s, especially, and there were women that wanted to get involved, too, to make their voices heard, which is why something like Slumber Party Massacre was made. The filmmakers of, of uh, Slumber Party Massacre made that movie specifically to prove to, to moviegoers, to critics, that women enjoy making these kind of movies, they enjoy being in them, and that they're into them, so that they made their own. And Slumber Party Massacre is just as gory and sleazy as any given one that was directed by a, by a male at the time. And it's that's proof that, that people 
people of all genders were enjoying these films. Now, the people getting offended by them were just stuck-up, whiny bitches named Siskel and Ebert. Well, I mean, it's not a slasher movie, but in 1980, there was also Humanoids from the Deep. That was directed by a woman, mm. too. And that's a pretty hard exploitation film. It's one of the hardest, actually. There's some gruesome stuff in that movie. I mean, it's literally about monsters raping women. And it was made by yeah. a woman. But then we go into this clip, and in this one... I think a lot of people have the wrong idea. They identify these films with earlier thrillers like Psycho or even our recent film like Halloween, which we both like. These films aren't in the same category. These films hate women. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the audiences that go to them don't seem to like women too much either. Now, we go to see these films in movie theaters. These are not the kinds of movies where they have nice private little screenings <laughs> for the critics. And to sit there surrounded by people who are identifying not with the victim, but with the attacker, with the killer, who are cheering these killers on, is a very scary experience. Yeah, the movies are played so that they really are in favor almost of the killer and really against the women cowering back. Okay, they're wrong in the, these films hate women as do the audiences. So according to them, these films are made to literally say, women, you're the problem in the country. Women, this is your fault. Now, the only thing that they're right on here, although I don't think they were right at this point, is they also said these films are made in favor of the killer. The fact that Freddy, Jason, and Michael Myers, and Leatherface, and Pinhead, and Chucky all became kind of pop cultural icons with their own toy lines, you know, stickers and stuff, okay, that they're sort of right. In a weird way, the killer did become the star, but not the way Siskel and Ebert thought thought that it was back in 1980. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> the thing is, yes, in a way that um, the movies are made not so much to identify with the killer, but the killer became popular, but they were still the bad guy. Like, you were still rooting for the people to be able to survive whatever the encounter was. But it didn't make it so, like, it's it was a very, it's, it's a weird thing. Because it's like, you like Jason, but you also want him to stop, you know, leave these people alone. Jason, or Fr uh, Freddy was cracking one-liners, but you really don't want, I mean, sometimes... Honestly, more than anything, whenever watching a lot of these movies, if if I'm, like, rooting for the killer, I'm like, kill the stupid jock that's in the movie that's, like, being a douchebag. Yeah, that's when it's like, yes, they killed the jock. But, like, when he kills, like, the cute girl or uh, or in um, some of the Friday the 13th where, like, you know, they just had sex for the first time and then they get... It's like, nah, come on, you know? He like, was in a <laughs> wheelchair, man! He was in a wheelchair. <laughs> Holy mackerel. No mercy. No mercy. No mercy. But it's a movie. It's yeah. not supposed to be taken seriously. And the same thing with this. I don't hate women because I like slasher movies. And I think that the same thing. All right, well, apparently there's a whole bunch of self-hating women because there are tons of women that love slasher movies and love horror movies in general. Just ridiculous. It really, really is. These are tailor-made films for people who, who hate women and we're supposed to... No. The thing is, bad guy characters always tend to be kind of cool. Like, I think anybody that saw Terminator for the first time, yeah, I mean, Arnold's meant to be the bad guy in that movie. The Terminator's meant to be the villain. He has a cool factor to him. Jason does. Michael Myers does. Freddy is like, you know, he's, he's got his uh, one-liners and all that stuff. You're not necessarily meant to like them. But they're just so like bombastic as characters and have this these iconic features. You know, Jason with his with his mask. You know, Michael Myers with the the creepy William Shatner mask. You even got like Lord Humongous who ended up uh, from Road Warrior ended up being such an iconic villain. The Terminator, obviously, as well. Alien and Predator, like all of these characters that were meant to be the scary ones. They they have a cool factor to them. It's not because they kill women. It's just because of the, it's the it's attributed to the design team, people who create the costumes, who decide what the character is going to look like. If something looks cool, it just looks cool. This is which is why people ended up facing when he kills a jock or, or liking the way the alien and alien looks or the predator or terminator. They just end up being kind of cool because there's something about villains, I guess. Even and this is going even toward today. I don't think Loki was supposed to be a likable character, but when when the Avengers came out, there were flocks of fangirls that were looking to suck Tom Hiddleston's dick until it hurt. For some reason, they really resonated with Loki. Why, I don't know, but it could very well just be that there's a cool factor to the villain. I don't think we can stress this too strongly, that we're not talking about a, just a couple of films. It seems like we're getting new ones of these kind of films every other week. That amounts to a major movie trend. Here are some examples. 
prom night. With teenage girls being slaughtered at their high school prom, the ad campaign is, if you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. Don't go in the house. A guy who was tortured by his mother burns three women to death. The cell line here is, you have been warned. And there's The Howling, a new movie about a woman who goes alone on a vacation and is tortured by the locals. The come online here is, imagine your worst fear, a reality. And there's Terror Train, in which six college students at a masquerade party on a train are stalked by a psychopath. And there's The Boogeyman, a supernatural killer haunts a house. Okay, so they claim that we're being inundated with these films. Now, first of all, all the films that they listed, Prom Night, Don't Go in the House, The Howling, Terror Train, and Boogeyman, had not come out yet. So none of them had seen these films. <laughs> Boogie, Boogeyman is not a, is a supernatural film. It's not a slasher film. Siskel ended up loving The Howling, actually. So this was clear he hadn't seen it yet, because when that came out later in the year, he gave that a great review. Okay, bastard. Don't Go in the House, that one, I'll actually give them. That one is a very... You know, that's a very Norman Bates, the guy, the character hates women in the film, but he's the villain of the movie. Well, yeah, it's the same thing with, uh, like the character in the Michael Ironside's character in Visiting Hours. Just because he's a misogynist doesn't mean the movie is misogynistic. He's the bad guy. He's the one that's, that you want to be stopped. And it's the, uh, it, it does show that they always jump the gun, they always cherry-pick, just like a lot of critics do nowadays. I mean, the fact that they the movies hadn't even come out yet, and they're showcasing them on the show. Little things like that, just even that was just making me, bringing my piss to a boil while I was watching this flick, or, or this uh, special. It's just, it's infuriating. And the fact that he went on to like like The Howling, it just shows how wishy The Howling is also not a slasher were. film. No, yes. not at all. Oh, okay, N now... I'm not defending them, but that first trailer, Joe Dante even complained about that on the DVD. They really did sell the movie as a slasher movie. That yeah, first trailer really, for The Howling, it, it is sold as a slasher flick. Yeah, but still, you can't just judge it based on a tra trailer like that. There's a lot of movies where the trailer is a detriment to the film itself because they don't market it properly. They should know this as people that are, that are like involved with uh, film study. And the fact that these guys that are on TV show are paid to talk about movies don't even know that, don't even uh, decide to think a trailer might not be doing this film justice. That it might not actually be how it is. Because you probably shouldn't review a movie if you haven't actually seen it. I just would like to point out that three years later, Ebert would go on to give uh, Scarface four out of four stars. What did Tony Montoya do with, with Michelle Pfeiffer, like Elvira? The, like, nothing but, like, mentally abusive and, like, but, but he that's... He tried a, to bang his own sister in that film. Yeah, you know, but eh, it's okay because it's it's a genre that they like. He also, both Siskel and Ebert, both gave very enthusiastic thumbs up later in this year to Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill is, honestly, it should be a slasher movie, you know? Yeah. But, oh, Brian De Palma made that, so that's an art film. Well, it's kind of yeah, like Silence Halloween. of the Lambs. They saw Halloween the same way. Well, it's kind of like Silence of the Lambs, you know. it's uh, Because it's nominated for an Oscar, it's a thriller. It's not a horror movie. Now, week after week, these are the kinds of movies we're getting. It is relentless. Every film company seems to be making one of these movies or distributing one that some fast buck artist has already made. In addition to the films we've already mentioned this season, we also have He Knows You Are Alone, Motel Hell, Phobia, Mother's Day, Schizoid, Silent Scream, and I Spit on Your Grave, which is easily the worst of this disgusting bunch. The newspaper ads for these films are bold in the way they suggest terror, but in no way in many cases do the ads really prepare you for the kind of explicit violence we end up getting on the screen. Decapitations are not uncommon, and shots, repeated stabbing shots of all parts of women's bodies are grotesquely routine. You know what I think misleads a lot of people when they look at the newspaper ads or ads on television for these movies. They see that R rating oh, and yeah. they think, well, R, that means if you're under 17, you have to like, take along a parent or an adult guardian. It can't be that bad. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've seen other R-rated films, like this summer you had The Blue Lagoon. It had a little low-key nudity in it, or The Blues Brothers, mm -hmm. which really wasn't too extreme. And so mm -hmm. they say, well, that's not so bad. They have no idea. I agree with you about I Spit on Your Grave. That is the most violent, extreme grotesque, nauseating R-rated picture I've ever seen, and I just don't understand how the R rating has grown so large as mm -hmm. to include these films, which in my opinion go right off the map of any kind of good take. 
So week after week, we're getting these movies. I love the fact that he calls them, just generalizes. These are all made not not by filmmakers, but he says by quick, fast buck artists. So then they list, he knows you're alone, which, okay, if you only watch the first half of that movie, it's very misogynistic. Motel Hell, which Ebert ended up loving, again, hadn't come out yet. <laughs> Phobia, Mother's Day, Silent Scream, and wow, they hated I Spit on Your Grave, to the point where... Ebert did a whole spiel about how that is the most disgusting, vile film he's ever seen. Apparently, he didn't watch the second half of that movie. It's 45 minutes of rape and then about 15, 20 minutes of revenge. If you want a mm-hmm. good, like, rape-revenge, like, girl power flick, Savage Streets. And that's how you yeah. do it right. But but then they also add, the ads make them look fun and not grotesque. Uh. Isn't that the point of an ad? Because first of all, go back and look at almost, just go back and look at the original posters for all of these movies. They're fantastic freaking posters. Silent Night, Deadly Night, where they were like, the people that made this movie, they have, you have blood on your hand. At one point uh, he said, he said all of your profits are literally blood money. Are blood money. (laughs) It's like, you know how many people dressed up in a Santa Claus outfit and went out and murdered people that year because of the movie? None. Nobody. Not Nobody. One person. So it, the fact that they're, they can't separate fantasy from reality just goes to show how absurd this is. And they were, and the thing was, it was also infuriating. I, I did it in my video where I showed that they called out the director, the producer. They did all these people by name. Shame on yeah. you. Shame. That was shame on you. Name that was shame. one of the first, uh, First, first instances of uh, public doxing, pretty much. Yes, so if, if they were, if they were in their thirties, like they were at uh, or forties or whatever age they were in that time, and they were alive uh, today, the same age, they would be like Twitter doxers. They would be those yeah. pathetic f-ks that are people's uh, dirty laundry. Whether whether the people are guilty or not, they're like, we don't like you. Here's the here's all your personal information. Go harass this person. Like they're doxers. The, the first time I ever saw that Silent Night, Deadly Night thing, that was when. I knew I hated them. I didn't feel bad when half of Ebert's face fell off because of what kind of a fucking person he was. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> I love the fact that they call these gouging. That, you know, oh, it's almost always women and these gougings in this movies. Like, everyone knows I love Harlan Ellison, but he hated the slasher movies too. He called them nothing more than knife kill movies. Do you think that people like Siskel and Ebert and even Harlan Ellison are just the wrong audience? In Harlan Ellison's defense, he didn't like them, but he didn't go out of his way to make it so that people couldn't and wouldn't watch them. You know, like Ebert and them, like they went out of their way to try to, like they were using their position to leverage against these kind of movies. Where Ellison's just like, ah, I don't like it, it's knife kill movies. Now, his thing is, like, he puts a lot, I mean, he, the dude's got a, a ridiculous brain. So, he, seeing something as basic as, like, a slasher movie, yeah, I mean, I love them, they're great, but they are very just down to brass tacks, it's just... They're not exactly deep thinking They're not movies. exactly deep, they no. occasionally will have, like, a good twist in there or whatnot, but they're, you know, they're not really cerebral. They're the kind of movies you sit down, you just watch it, you enjoy it, you know, that's it. It's not something where, you know, you're like, wow, that movie, like, changed my whole perspective on things. So, that was the thing. He was saying, like, eh, you know, they're, they're just kind of basic. And whereas Ebert and Siskel, they were trying to use their point, use their uh, authority to to get the producers and whatnot to feel bad about these kind of movies that they were making and to stop. And they were doing that by saying to the general public that you shouldn't go see these movies because that's mm-hmm. the way that these kind of things will stop. Once the money dries up, then, you know, the uh, the next trend will take over. So they're figuring by maybe guilting people into this that they're going to stop going to these movies and by giving them bad reviews they're going to stop going to these movies and uh you know it's going to dry up like I personally I don't like westerns so whenever I review a western I say look it's not my genre I saw it and it I didn't like it but you know make of that what you will and so with mm-hmm. them they hated horror 
but they always would judge horror on the same scale as everything else. They wouldn't go yeah. in and say, look, we don't like this genre. So, you know, but if you are a fan of this genre, you may enjoy it. I mean, literally, Brad Jones' whole career is built on that. The cinema snob <laughs> character, it was literally, no, ask Brad about it. It was literally. The review of Final Chapter, right? The review of, yeah. Of yeah, it, it, it was Roger Ebert's review of the final chapter with a little bit of I Spit on Your Grave. His whole point of the cinema snob was somebody who only goes to these exploitation movies who is clearly not the audience. That's Brad Jones' entire character. Okay, well, the difference between Roger Ebert and Harlan Ellison, well, Harlan Ellison is amazing, uh, for one. This, this is a guy who everybody rips off. He's allowed to diss on what, he can walk up to my mom and call her a cunt. I'll be like, well, <laughs> you probably got a point. I mean, James Cameron ripped you off, alright? Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Whereas, uh, Roger, Roger Ebert is just some failed filmmaker who's, uh, angry at things he doesn't like, and, uh, whatever he doesn't enjoy, he wants everybody else to, Feel that way. If like it, nobody else should. So anytime he does it, whatever. It's it's just it's uh, what we call in Serbian pitchkin dim, which means uh, pussy dust. That's all that comes out of his mouth. But when you have somebody like Harlan Ellison, you know what? He's allowed to judge whatever he wants. You know, I'll, I'll, I won't get uh, I won't get angry when I hear that. But when it's when it's somebody like Ebert and Siskel or just any reviewer like that who's somebody who's judging something based on entirely different merits that don't even belong in something like a slasher film. Like, he's judging these films like they're supposed to be high art or something. Uh, I think at this point somebody is probably wondering why. Why? Why exactly. now? Why is this happening? I have a theory. In the last couple of months that I've been seeing these pictures, I'm convinced it has something to do with the growth of the women's movement in mm -hmm. America in the last decade. I think that these films are some sort of primordial response <laughs> by some very sick people of men saying, get back in your place, women, typically portrayed as independent, as sexual, as enjoying life. And the killer, typically, not all the time, but most often, is a man who is sexually frustrated with these new, aggressive women. And so he strikes back at them. He throws knives at them. He can't deal with them. He cuts them up. He kills them. Get back in your place. It's against the women's movement. I think you're basically right, Gene. You know, after you've sat through hour after hour of this complete trash, you begin to ask yourself, what did these female victims do to deserve the horrible attacks they undergo in these films? What was their crime? Why is it suddenly open season on young women in the movies? Well, one thing that most of the women victims do have is in common is that they do act independently, and I agree with you on that point. Mm -hmm. To one degree or another, they're liberated women who choose to act on their own. And the w moment that a woman starts making decisions for herself in these movies, yeah. you can almost bet she's going to end up paying with her life, and horribly. This is where we start to get into the real, what is your major malfunction numbnuts moments? <laughs> these movies are a primordial response to the woman's movement and to women becoming more independent. I mean, he actually says that these films are a primordial response by sick people, the filmmakers, who are scared of women having parity with men. That the message of these films is women get back in your place. That's because uh. the killer is always sexually frustrated. That's supposed to be a cipher for the filmmaker. What? The women in the films are always independent and strong, and that must be stamped out. Liberated women have to die. Do you think you're reading a lot too much into a knife kill movie? Sounds like uh, projection. Maybe they're the ones that think that uh, women should get in their place. Maybe they're the ones that are sexually frustrated. Because I don't ever remember seeing Michael Myers or Leatherface or Jason with a boner. It's got to be, I mean, it sounds like projection. The women's liberation is being stamped out by kill. Like, they're the bad guys. Like, I could, I could understand there was a movie where you had the hero and he was running around and he was, uh, shooting women. Wait a minute. Even though it would come out a year later, what about Ms. 45 then? She yeah. kills anything with a penis. Is that an anti-feminist movie? Well, no, that's, that is, that's okay. That's a because character that, study. Yeah, that's a character study. I mean, now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Ms. 45 is fucking awesome. But yeah, oh, it's an awesome one. movie, but she's the villain. <laughs> Because she was raped twice in the same day, so then every everything with a penis has to die. That's just the way that works. I think that, I mean, it's it's a great movie, and yeah, I mean, she went nuts and went out and was killing people. But it's like, it wasn't that she just was killing, 
the people who wronged her. She was just killing every man. And that was like, that was where it was like, okay, this is no longer revenge. This is, you've gone completely psychotic. And in the movie Friday the 13th, an independent female camp counselor goes out on her own and hitchhikes a ride with the wrong driver. We view a scene through the eyes of the killer. You never saw the driver in that last scene. Instead, you saw everything through the driver's eyes. Now, in the traditional horror movie, we often saw things from the victim's point of view, but that's no longer. Now we look through the killer's eyes. It's almost as if the audience is being asked to identify with the attackers in these movies, and that really bothers me. That's a very good point. One other thing that bothers me is that the behavior that these women are engaging in if done by men, would be considered brave, bold, and fun. Mm -hmm. Going hitchhiking, you know, mm -hmm. going across the country like an easy rider, very typical. A sure. woman tries to do something like that in these films, whammo, they get sliced up. They say because Sean Cunningham used a POV shot, he's asking the audience to identify with the killer. God. And that, and that the camp counselor, because she was engaging in activities that would tip, typically be thought of as strong for a man, that for a woman, she was somehow stepping on their ground, and she had to be put in place. I, now remember, they raised Halloween. What is Halloween open with? The POV shot of the freaking killer. It's okay when Halloween does it. Uh, identifying with the killer. Now, you know what that is? It's having the killer in the scene and not showing the killer, so it can be a surprise. That's usually what you use POV for, at least when you're establishing something like that. Halloween did it too. You don't know who's actually killing them until it's revealed. I, that I it's actually just, I actually just thought of something, Peter. So in Jaws, were, were we meant to identify with the shark? Oh, uh, absolutely. You know, I live my life according to Jaws. Just, just as uh, I want to go pick up uh, women uh, in my Jeep and slit their throat. And uh, also, I'm, I'm considering uh, changing my gender to an old woman, you know, because <laughs> the, the killer at the end of uh, Friday the 13th is Mrs. Voorhees. So apparently I identify with a 60-year-old woman that uh, brandishes a Bowie knife. The fact that they could reach that far, that deep down into their empty little pockets and look for just the smallest little bits of lint that they could. It's, it's like they don't understand movies. They don't get how they work they don't understand the fact that they'll they'll point out things and and make just demonize everything just i don't know it's it's just so agenda driven and again i want to expand on this notion of what may be causing this whenever we see a movie trend i think that what's really going on i think i've talked about this is sort of a coalesced dream that the the uh -huh. people may be feeling and the filmmaker hits on remember those disaster pictures we talked about it everybody being afraid that something mm -hmm. evil might happen to the world a nuclear explosion or something like that then we get all these doomsday mm -hmm. films here, I think filmmakers are picking up on the notion that a lot of men are angry at women, don't know how to cope with women, and they're pandering, exciting, inflaming men. Mm -hmm. Very bad. When you talk about the coalesced dreams, in other words, there are a lot of people out there who have urges or feelings or fears that they don't articulate themselves, and then a movie comes along, sometimes almost by accident, yes. that strikes that chord. For example, when Airport came out in 1970, nobody knew that was going to be the first of countless, umpteen dozens of disaster movies. Mm -hmm. But it really spoke to people in a way that made other people imitate it. And I think in this case, the first movie of this whole series of women in danger films was obviously Halloween, which mm -hmm. I think, and we're going to get to Halloween in just a moment, I think it's a pretty good picture. But it captured an enormous audience, it did millions of dollars worth of business, and then the sleaze merchants who came along looked at that movie and tried to put their finger on what it was about it that was so successful. And they said, well, women being chased by a killer, that's it. Mm -hmm. Let's go out and hire us some more women and some more killers and make us some money. That's why they call these things exploitation films, mm -hmm. these rotten ones, because they exploit one element and make it sort of sick. Mm -hmm. Also, many of the attacks in these films take on, uh, on women who are scantily clad. And I think that the intent here is to also exploit the sex angle in these pictures. The nudity is always gratuitous. It's just put in the film only to titillate the audience and maybe make one other point that women who dress this way or merely uncover their bodies are somehow asking for trouble and somehow deserve the trouble they get. That's a very sick idea. Okay, this is where, even if you were with Siskel and Ebert up to this point, slasher movies are a coalesced dream of the fear in culture that women are going to grow stronger than men, that the audiences for these films are men who are angry at women and don't know how to deal with strong women. They're sleaze merchants. That the people who make these films are literally, the word that they used was sleaze merchants. Everyone coming after Halloween was 
just a quick fast buck artist who didn't understand why Halloween was such a an amazing, beautiful movie and that these people don't come close. The nudity is always gratuitous. Well, they're right on that, but that's the whole point of nudity is gratuity. I actually loved the, loved the quote in this one that the women who expose their bodies according to the men in this coalesced fear and dream, get what they deserve for dressing like this. I'm going to go with Peter on this. This is pure projection at this point. It's projection, yeah, absolutely. I think this is how they really feel, and they're ashamed of it. That's that's the only vibe I got, absolutely. This kind of is another thing that's that's kind of relevant to today. In a movie, in a video game, if if there's a character who is is a character, I mean, especially in something like a video game, you have people that are like, it's it's exploitative, it's wrong, it's it's sexist against women. But then, if women want to go out on these slut marches and walk down the streets without shirts and like, and that's fine. I mean, they're then they're like, yeah, you go, girl. But but wait a minute. So you're you're protecting the rights of like a video game ca- like you're upset about a video game character being scantily clad or you're uh, you're angry about a woman in a movie who was paid to get naked. That's wrong. Like I it just it it makes my brain hurt. I don't understand like neither is wrong. Well, okay, but like I said, when it comes to nudity, isn't nudity nudity isn't nudity by definition gratuitous? Being naked is really like the ultimate vulnerability. And if you have a movie where somebody is naked, they're in the shower and they get attacked or something, like like in Psycho, I mean, that is just the ultimate vulnerability. But, yeah. you know, if you're in a movie and it's just, it's everything's going along and then all of a sudden there's a sex scene from out of nowhere for no reason whatsoever, it, that's exploitative. It's wonderful, yeah. but it's exploitative. <laughs> The vulnerability factor can really play into a horror film very well. Like, like, yeah, the shower scene from Psycho, and I think uh, the next step to just being completely vulnerable, like being attacked in the shower would be awful. My biggest fear is uh, being attacked while I'm taking a shit. How awful would that be? <laughs> so so Jurassic Park really sent some fear through you, huh? That that's, uh, certainly triggered me as a child, Josh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're going to find me dead, eaten by a raptor with half a log out. <laughs> And in Friday the 13th, we watch as a young woman primps provocatively in a bathroom mirror as she is stalked by a hatchet killer. This is yet another film connecting sex with violence. A film saying, act this way, young women, and you're asking for trouble. They just can't leave this alone. they got to hammer it through again. Act this way, get what you deserve. I dread going to these kinds of movies. It really has become the most depressing part of my job as a film critic. And there we are in total agreement, as far as I'm concerned. You know, we go to see these movies, and in a way, I almost feel as if I don't belong in the theater, because everybody else apparently went to these movies, movies like this, voluntarily. They're happy to be there. They're reacting. I feel like an undercover spy in the dark. (laughs) I went to see I Spit on Your Grave, and I was sitting next to a fairly nicely dressed middle-aged man, maybe in his 50s or 60s, who was talking back to the screen with lines like, Boy, she's really asking for it now. Or, you know, there's a rape scene coming up. This will be a good one and so forth. This guy is, to my way of thinking, a vicarious sex criminal. He has very antisocial attitudes. I felt creepy sitting there. Not all of the guys, uh, I went and saw the picture too. And I saw a lot of couples on dates. And that gets me worried about another thing. I know a lot of people are wondering, well, you know, people are going to see this film and imitate the behavior. Some people may. I don't know. But the majority of middle-class people are going to see these films. That's why they're such big hits. And I worry then about this idea, which is that when you view women constantly as sport, being stabbed, I think that's a sort of a sick notion that just sort of makes us, it's degrading. You view them as second class, that somehow this is acceptable behavior. You said before that all movies tend to argue in favor of the behavior that they show. Mm -hmm. These are women as sport, to be stabbed. I think that's a bad idea. You know, they outlawed bullfighting because it was cruel. Uh, I almost have some of the same feeling toward these kinds of films. These kinds of movies put some very bad ideas in society in the context of entertainment. Yes. The audience went to these movies on purpose. Yes, that's true. Yeah, they paid money to see a movie. 
somebody broke into my house and forced me to go see this movie. I absolutely love some of the things they say in this one. The people who go see these movies are vicarious sex criminals. <laughs> and that they view women as a sport to be stabbed and gouged. Oh, I love when my. Siskel goes... They outlawed bullfighting because it was cruel, and I have the same feelings about these movies. Dude, get off your fun. fucking high horse. Boy, my, my wife is going to be really upset when I tell her that I hate women, apparently. Because... You are a vicarious... <laughs> hey, because because we've all I'm seen a... I Spit on Your Grave, we are Cecil, we are all vicarious sex criminals now. I, I think we all have to yes. register after seeing that movie, don't we? Uh, evidently. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it a few times, so, I mean, there's going to be, like, several red dots over my house when you go on the internet. <laughs> well, you're not going to get anyone this Halloween, are you? Oh, so no. Well, I'll save money on candy this year, apparently. You know, Gene and I had some long discussions before we decided to do this special mm -hmm. program on women in danger in the movies. And frankly, we worried about whether additional publicity for these movies might simply help them out at the box office. We sure hope not. Our intention is to simply report on this trend and to warn unsuspecting people who might go to these films thinking they're merely good, old-fashioned horror films, the kind a lot of people used to enjoy. Because... There is a difference between good and scary movies and movies that systematically demean half the human race. There is a difference between movies which are violent but entertaining and movies that are gruesome and despicable. There is a difference between a horror movie and a freak show. Okay, this is where the sanctimonious just gets to be too much. That they're just reporting and warning people of these movies. They're just, this whole special is information. And I, I love that they have to get one last dig in here, too. These movies systematically demean half of the human race. No, they don't! As Cecil has pointed out numerous times in this show, these women were not forced to be in these films, just like you're not forced to watch them. They were paid handsomely. They, the, if the movie did well, especially, they made money. It's, it's not like they were, you know forced into a van or something and like raped while some guy you know recorded it with a camcorder then dumped their body in a dumpster no these are these are movies a lot of them are hollywood films the friday the 13th films are owned by friggin paramount they were paid yeah. well they were paid well and the as cecil pointed out earlier they go to conventions and they and they love it they all they even all got along with the killer like everybody got along with like kane hodder and cj graham and, and even ted white a lot of them actually enjoyed like hanging out with each other and stuff on set and they have all these great stories and great experiences like how how are you terminator territory they're like systematically targeting all the women god damn it they're always the moral arbiters are always the worst they're the ones that are like well we're just informing you we're not trying to get anything banned meanwhile ban this sick filth ban this sick filth see so i'm sure as a heavy metal fan you remember the pmrc remember uh. They weren't trying to get anything banned. They were just an information organization. Ugh. Exactly. Who was trying to get a label put on records, and there were certain so record stores wouldn't carry a record with carry. their label. It's it was it was absurd. And but that's the thing. That's how the moral arbiters work. They try to go under the guise of we're just trying to inform the public and make things a safer place and make things better. No, you're just trying to make it more miserable for other adults. Both of us gave favorable reviews to a very scary 1978 horror film named Halloween. Now, there must be people asking, how could we praise a movie like that and now say these other movies are so terrible? Well, here's a scene from Halloween. It's got the same basic situation as all the women in danger movies have. There's a woman alone in a big house. She's being chased by a killer. But let's look at it first and then talk about some of the differences. Okay, that's Halloween, a horror movie we both think is pretty good. It's very good. One of the things a short scene can't show you is that Halloween is directed and acted with a great deal more artistry and craftsmanship than the sleazebucket movies we've been talking about. But there's another much more important difference. As you watch Halloween, your sympathies are always enlisted on the side of the woman, not with the killer. The movie develops its women characters as independent, intelligent, spunky, and interesting people. Halloween does not hate women. Yeah, you know, when I saw that scene, I must admit, I wasn't really worrying about the woman as much as I was placing myself in that closet and thinking about that killer, how I would handle it. Uh -huh. And I was also appreciating the fact that I think Halloween not only doesn't hate women, mm -hmm. but it loves film and filmmaking. That music is just fabulous. The way he starts one theme, then lays another thing on top of it, keeping the other theme. Really good. Uh, also, the light coming through the slats in that mm -hmm. closet. Mm -hmm. This is a film that's sort of up 
that scene is up and you're jumpy rather than getting depressed and feeling sorry and mm -hmm. feeling sorry that you're even watching it. An upbeat thing. So here they actually acknowledge their own bias with saying Halloween did it, but I, I, I love the, I love their excuse here. Halloween is a film that does not hate women because Halloween is art. It has real characters. And Halloween is made by a filmmaker who loves film. It's an upbeat film, unlike Friday what? the 13th and I Spit. And it's like, so what? when, I, so almost literally, when Halloween does it, it's okay. Oh, that one, I really, I had to pause it after I saw that. Cause, okay, I, I love John Carpenter to death. I do. He's great. He's like probably my second or third favorite filmmaker of all time. Good lord. But to call Halloween like an art film? I mean, yeah, he's great with the Carpenter knows his shit. He knows uh, how to do some great, like, wide-angle lens shots, and he's great with color and stuff. But he's a sleaze director, too. His, his movies almost border on, on exploitation. You know, Halloween is, is a pretty – it doesn't show that much gore, but it's a pretty dirty little movie, especially Halloween, too. You know, especially Escape from New York has that, like, dirty, gritty – almost drive-in feel to it. Halloween does show PJ Soul's two biggest assets, though. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not that much different from Friday the 13th. And it's, it's yeah, it is a kind of an upbeat film when you take into account the characters. But anytime like, Loomis comes on screen, or anytime that, like, haunting soundtrack starts to kick in, it's a very brooding film. <laughs> you know what? I just thought of, Loomis is almost Captain Bringdown of that movie, isn't he? He is. Every <laughs> time he shows up, he's like, the speeches he, he gives, you know, Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. He, always... He's great, but yeah, he's yeah. Captain Bringdown. Absolutely. He's the, the prophet of doom, which is, Friday the 13th has that too with Crazy Ralph. And they have, um, Friday the 13th has great, like, upbeat and uh, interesting characters to follow along with. I actually think the the first Friday the 13th might still have some of the best characters in the, the whole franchise. They're all very... I at least felt very fleshed out, likable young characters. None of them were, were were really assholes. I didn't want to see any of them die in the first one, to be honest. And when I when I compare Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween, just both as films, I actually see them on a, on a pretty even keel. I see them quite equal. They're both of the same tier. They're both like smash hit, perfect examples of of what a film in that genre should be. They're both fantastic. I I don't. I, it's hypocrisy. They're they're judging one movie saying, oh, this is fantastic. Then the, the other movie does the same thing, and they shit on it. A lot of people do that, especially with movies nowadays, too. This movie had too many characters, and nothing was, was developed enough. Then this other movie has a giant battle royale with characters we were just introduced to. This happens all the time. And it's it's people that, uh, what would it be? I don't know if, if it's like elitism or what, or just being full of shit. In the case of Ebert and Siskel, I'm going to go with full of shit. But it's incredibly annoying. When you have a movie like Friday the 13th and Halloween, which I don't want to carbon copies of each other, but they're both fantastic examples of how to do a slasher film right. And to give credit to one and then take credit away from the other for doing the exact same thing is that might actually be insanity. I'm curious as to how Halloween is an upbeat film. It's a guy <laughs> who escapes from a mental asylum and is just going on a murderous rampage. Like, there are, uh, I would say something like, if you've ever seen the movie The Final Girls, The Final Girls is an upbeat slasher film because it's like a horror comedy. It's meant to be kind of light, and it's meant to be a good bit of uh, homage and a little bit of parody of slasher films. That, I could be like, okay, Halloween is a dark film. Like, people are yeah. murdered in awful ways. There's no joy there. There's, like, maybe a little tiny bit of comedic relief once in a while, but it's not, like, even remotely an upbeat film. I, I can't even imagine, like, I mean, I've seen Halloween a lot. I, I can't think of anything in the film that would even be considered upbeat. You know, I think what you're touching on here is that artistry can redeem any subject matter. Sure. That's why I've always been opposed to censorship. I don't mm -hmm. believe any subject matter should be off-base. Right. The question is, what does the artist do with it? How does he look at it? How does he put it through his art in order to make a statement about it, or to make it into either a commercial film or a serious film? I believe that in the case of a movie like Halloween, we can engage in that joy of filmmaking that you talk about. That's not the case with the other films that really address themselves to the lowest possible common denominator. So we're not knocking scary pictures, no. per se, just a certain kind. And just to make the point one final time, differentiate the films we're talking about from something good like Halloween, 
The films that we're dealing with here don't have the artistry of Halloween. These women in danger films all really boil down to just one same image, one disturbing image, a woman screaming in abject terror. What they're saying is artistry can redeem any subject matter, but slasher movies are not art. Now, they are the arbiters of what is and is not art when it comes to film. Siskel and Ebert, f*** you. Yeah, I have to go with a big f*** you to them, too. Uh, I mean, I think that it's it's a, it's a ridiculous that um, Critic, like, gets that much power. Like, I always, when I do my videos, when I do my reviews and stuff, I always kind of point out, I'm like, you know what, I didn't like this, but you might. Uh, or I'll point out uh, when I understand, like, something like The Greasy Strangler I thought was a terrible movie. But I'm like, I understand that there are people out there that would enjoy this kind of thing. Me, I don't mm -hmm. like it. I thought it was terrible. And I think that it's ridiculous that these people don't put their stamp on something and be like, we are the be-all, end-all. We say it stinks, and therefore it stinks. Because you saw a bunch of movies and you went to college and you got like a, a degree in writing and whatnot, like you are now allowed to tell people what they're allowed to like and dislike. <laughs> that's, that's absurd. Like find, like I, I put more credit onto people who I, I have, like I know me and Peter have similar likes. So if he was to say, Hey man, there's this movie that's out. You haven't heard of it, but it's really good here. You should check it out. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'd go see that. Or if there was like, Oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing yeah. this. You're like, Oh dude, it's terrible. I would put way more stock into that than I'd ever put in any of these freaking critics. That's really the degrading essence of what's going on in these pictures. And in that one, they even slow it down in slow motion. That's all that's about is just that sick image of the woman cowering in a corner. As to what people can do about these films, this trend in the movies that we've been spotlighting, I think that people have to realize that the box office speaks louder than just two film critics. So if one of these films is around, if you have an idea that it might be around, stay away. Right, and how do you know which films to stay away from? Usually you can tell by the ads. R-rated, usually has a knife or a hatchet or an axe, a girl screaming, some guy in a hood. Yes. These movies are junk. Give them a pass. So the the end of their show is contradicting something we just talked about a few minutes ago. Remember, we're just reporting and warning. Now they say these films are degrading. Don't go see them. They're going to keep making them until people stand up and vote with their dollars. And then they add, we're not pro-censorship, though. I, gi I give up. <laughs> I've checked out. The lights are on, but nobody's home. It's, it, I, I hate to bring it up again, but I mean, it's the same thing that we're going through now with, uh, with, with movies and video games and stuff where you have people that are like, we don't want people to not be able to go see this stuff. And, and then, but we're working to get them like the whole, uh, like the whole, uh, Dead or Alive 3, uh, uh, Extreme Beach Volleyball thing. We're not trying to get people to not do this. We just had it banned from the United States. <laughs> well, it's okay. It's it's not completely the same, but like the week we're recording this, the new Amy Schumer movie Snatch just came out, and it's getting horrible reviews across the board. Of course it is. Of course it is. It looked terrible. I haven't seen it, but it looked terrible. But she has already decided none of the people who hated the movie are real critics. They are, in her words on Twitter, they are nothing but alt-right trolls. Of course. So if, 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 you don't, if you don't like her movie, you're just a troll. Real critics will like her movie. Oh, wow. Well, the thing with, the thing with her is she's fallen into that crowd. Anyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi or an alt-right troll. There were Nazis this weekend. Everyone went to not see her movie. <laughs> That's just end the show right on that. So, all right, to sum it up, I, our TV Tropes page is going to reflect the fact that we're taking an entire hour to tear apart a 30-plus-year-old TV special by two dead guys. It was all still relevant to movies today. Yeah. I mean, in all reality, that special... Take the hairstyles and the time period differences out. As you guys pointed out, like, you know, there's Anita Sarkeesian and with the Amy Schumers and that, this is just as relevant as a topic today. And I don't think this special should be lost because it's one of those ones where you go, wow, that's bad today. Imagine yeah. how that was looked at in 1980. It's just stuff like that. It is still relevant. I mean, it does seem like we're 
beating up on a couple a couple dead guys from uh, a special that was 30 years ago. But it resonates today. Stuff like this is still happening. You have people that are trying to censor things simply because they don't like it or they don't agree with it or they think it's uh, offensive. So they're the, the morality police. And things are happening nowadays just like that. The same same way. You have guys like Joss Whedon and Steve Shives and Anita Sarkeesian and just these assholes who just because they don't like something or they, they think something is just the word all right. The only people who are fascist in these situations are them because they believe that because they're offended by something, nobody else should get to see it. Maybe Maybe look up what fascism means. Yeah, this is uh, stuff that's still uh, depressingly relevant, and uh, I'd say it's kind of reared its ugly head again. There was a lot, like, you know, women's liberation has come a really long way, and a lot of these people are trying to push it back and make it so that women are victims, and they're not. Like, they're the only people that are trying, that are, are infringing on these women's rights are the people that are trying to do this nonsense where they're trying to make women afraid of going into STEM, of going into uh, maybe a field that is predominantly run, you know, uh, with men. Like nothing is preventing you from doing that except these people that are telling you that you shouldn't do that. And, and the, th- the people that are doing that are the ones who are supposed to be supportive of women. And when in actuality, they're the opposite of that. Okay. Where can we find Peter? Uh, you, you can uh, find me probably getting lynched by most of the internet at this point uh, due to my crass remarks against uh, Roger Ebert. I hate him. I'm proud of it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Cinematica. You can find me on YouTube, The Cinemasticus. You can find me on Facebook, Cinemasticus, on 1201beyond.com. I got some shirts up. Go buy them. They're great. There's some hats, too. There's some beanies. Don't let my hatred for Roger Ebert uh, make you hate me. But if you do, hey, whatever. The guy who's a doxing piece of shit, and I stand by that. Whatever. Cecil, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on Twitter and Facebook. Well, you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show with all your hate towards Peter and me, I guess, at 1201beyond at gmail.com. <laughs> Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Just here, I'm not wasting a moment.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.